institutions are very powerful and uh, those who run them are run by them because the uh, the circumstances and the uh, the nature of the institution severely limit the, his decision-making capacity. It's true of every, but men can't live without institutions. Of course. So it's important in a good society to have institutions. You have to have them. It's also important to have <clears throat> independent voices with the freedom to express themselves who can check the abuses of institutions. What about the men you've dealt with over the years in institutions? Do they behave differently? as members of institutions, and they might behave as individuals, so they've influenced by the institution? I think inevitably and invariably. Mm -hmm. I mean, no matter how, I mean, take a man like McNamara, who was a very able man, there were severe limits on what he could do as Secretary of Defense. That's a tremendous organization, the military bureaucracy. And uh, no matter how active, vigilant, vigorous the head of it is, it, very severe limits to what he can do. Mm -hmm. The only way to be free is not to have power. I mean, Diogenes in his tub was free and could afford to tell Alexander to get out of his, to get out of the way while he was taking a sun bath. But you have to, you have to have people with power. Yeah, sure. And you have to have people without power.
listen, whispers say we're free. Rumors flying, must be lying, can it really be? Can't conceive it, don't believe it, but that's what they say. Slave no longer, slave no longer, this is Freedom Day. Freedom Day, it's Freedom Day. Throw those shackles and chains away. Everybody that I see says it's really true. We're free. Freedom Day, it's Freedom Day. Free to vote and earn my pay. Did my began your own journalistic career in a, in a relatively small town, didn't you, in, in New Jersey? Well, I started on a small town weekly while I was going to high school, and then I began to work as country, country correspondent for a small city paper. I've done everything on a paper except set type. Mm -hmm. Didn't you publish your own newspaper, as a matter of fact, when you were I, in high school at the age yes, of 14? Yes, I did. At 14, I started a little paper, and it only ran for three issues because I, I my father discovered I was completely neglecting my schoolwork and made me stop. But you had 500 subscribers or so, didn't you? Well, I had, I had advertising and subscribers and... Uh, An editorial policy? Editorial policy. What I was, was the policy? Well, I was a very strong uh, League of Nations man. I remember writing pieces supporting Gandhi and the cause of Indian freedom. Uh, I was very, very critical of William Randolph Hearst, who at that time was a very demagogic right-wing publisher earlier had been different and uh, the old typesetter said it would spit out tobacco juice and say I was going to come to a bad end writing all that radical stuff. Those are, yeah, <laughs> those are pretty firm and, and perhaps radical convictions for a youngster of 14. What brought you these convictions at an early age? Well I think Jack London. Your own your reading. Then. I think Jack London was the uh, start of my uh, social consciousness. And then... Uh, Any particular books of London that did this? Well, Martin Eden and... Uh, I just remember London as opening my eyes and, and then all kinds of all kinds of things. Herbert Spencer and then uh, Kropotkin and Marx and uh, Engels and... Uh,
Most men are honorable and want to do a good job. Uh, you mean they're, 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 the, the government institutions are not riddled with evil men? No, no. I mean, certainly uh, I've been in Washington a long time. People don't realize that down in the bowels of the government are a lot of devoted and hardworking people. But, uh, but people are led to do evil in spite of themselves, by the nature of the institutions in which they're trapped. Mm -hmm. And have the capacity to rationalize that, I suppose, for yeah. their own... I mean, I, I once uh, had to talk to a group of visiting foreign journalists, and I said the first thing to remember when you talk to government officials here, don't believe anything they say. Don't take seriously anything mm -hmm. they say. And they laughed, and I said, I didn't say that for a laugh. I wasn't being cynical. What I mean is that most of what you hear is, is the rationalization of bureaucratic inertia, the momentum of a huge ma machine. Mm -hmm. And to get, ahead, uh, to get ahead in that machine, you have to show you're on the team, as the military say. And therefore, you have to excuse it, to rationalize it, to further its own purposes. And these institutions, which were supposed to be a means, become an end in themselves. You've seen the growth of institutions here in Washington in the years you've been here. Is that going to be inevitable, that it will continue to grow and grow, and institutions will take a, a larger and larger part in our lives? I think so, yeah. <clears throat> I think so, because, uh, because uh, life is becoming more complex, and our problems are becoming more difficult, and uh, it makes it all the more important, however, to...
I think the tradition plays a very useful part in human, in human life. And uh, the Jeffersonian tradition, the idea of the First Amendment, the duty of the press, the sense of public, public obligation, it tends to mold people, just as judges are molded by the law. So newspaper men tend to be molded by the fact that they're in our country. And I think American journalism is superior to that of most countries in the world. In the sense of the journalist in our country has a has a, uh, a higher and more dignified position than most countries. If you read Balzac, you see what 19th century French journalism was like. And even in England, it, uh, a journalist is looked upon as a hack unless he works for one of the gentlemanly papers. Mm -hmm. Here, because of the First Amendment and then Jefferson and the whole spirit of the American government, the press is regarded as really a fourth estate. And the sense of duty and responsibility, power and uh, obligation, mold people. And then the, the effect, the, the Vietnam War had some good effects. It, uh, it uh, taught reporters uh, that they could be lied to over and over and over again by the government. And they'd better watch and not just take down the, the words of the, of the Secretary of State or the President as holy writ. They learned a lot of lessons.
What kind of principles did you did you set for yourself when you built this one-man newspaper? Well, I wanted uh, a radical paper in a conservative format. I wanted uh, dignified topography. I didn't want screaming, sensational headlines. I didn't want exaggeration. I didn't want to pretend I had inside information when I didn't. I wanted it to be sober and factual, uh, as accurate as I could make it, uh, reasoned, not hysterical, so that people on the other side would have to take it seriously, persuasive. And uh, I tried to, to uh, prove what I was uh, saying from the horse's mouth, as it were, using the government's own documents and uh, government reports and uh, transcripts and press conferences and speeches, and analyzing them the way a, the way a historian would, putting them in perspective, uh, so that a, a, a man on a college campus who took it and showed it to a conservative colleague, he wouldn't just brush it off, he'd have to take it seriously. So you were concerned not just with reaching the converted, so to speak, but you wanted no, to reach I a larger other audience. people. As a matter secondly, of fact, you had some very distinguished subscribers in that, that uh, early subscription list and later ones too, of course. Well, but, I had a uh, lot of undistinguished subscribers yeah. too, which pleased me even more because <laughs> I, I wanted to, uh, to support people that were being harassed and uh, destroyed by the witch hunt. I wanted to defend what I considered uh, uh, basic American principles, and that is the, uh, the right of freedom of speech and p free political activity. And that meant defending uh, first the Trotskyites and then the communists. I disagreed with liberals who were only ready to, to, uh, to defend people if it could be proven that they uh, were practically illiterate and couldn't possibly be Marxist and uh, they weren't really communists. I, I felt that uh, unless it was freedom for everybody, it would be whittled away for everybody. And that means freedom for half-truths as well as truth? Freedom, freedom for, for lies. For lies. I mean, the, the, the uh, basic premise of a free society is that uh, none of us can be sure of the truth and none of us can uh, ever be sure of the whole truth and therefore it's worth listening to uh, others and uh, unless you're willing to have people tell lies or half lies, you shut off truths. There's no way of policing it. There has to be freedom. There's no halfway house. And that mm -hmm. was the philosophy of, of Jefferson of the First Amendment. And Thank you.
Until next week at the same time, good night.